Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome along to the Slaptivist Action Group. Now, we are being told, aren't we, that the NHS is in crisis. Jeremy Hunt keeps on liking to tell us that if people go into the hospitals at the weekend with a stroke, 20% more likely to die, he says. Now, medical staff have said this is absolute bollocks. The only reason you're more likely to die at the weekend is because only the most serious cases of stroke get admitted at the weekend. Some people, apparently, they don't even know they've had a stroke. They tend to wait until the Monday to do anything about it so as they can take a day off work. <laughs> and they're certainly more likely to wait until the Monday if they've heard from Jeremy Hunt they're 20% more likely to die <laughs> if they do anything about it at the weekend. I myself, I've seen a lot of the NHS recently. I, I've got a bad shoulder, so I went to see my GP. I said, oh, I've got this bad shoulder. He said, well, he said, you're going to need to go and see a consultant. Now, he said, you can have that done on the NHS, he said. But a lot of my patients, he said, find it quicker and easier in the first instance to pay to see the consultant privately. And I said, well, I think you've misjudged me horribly there. I shall be going NHS. Anyway, having heard nothing from the NHS after three months, (laughs) I paid to go and see this consultant privately. The very next day, I got a letter from the NHS offering me an appointment. So the consultant said, he said, oh, you're going to need an injection. He said, now, you can have this done on the NHS, he said... But a lot of my patients find it quicker and easier in the first instance to have it paid for privately. And I said, no, I'm going NHS. Anyway, having not heard anything for two months, I phoned up my doctor. I said, I've not heard anything. He said, two months. He said, early days yet, he said. (laughs) So we waited another month, still nothing. Okay, so he said, right, here's the direct line of the orthopaedic department. He said, give them a call. It's in the system. They should have done something by now. So I phoned them up. He says, oh, well... She says, you needed to contact us eight weeks from referral. She said, it's been three months, she said. And I said, oh, well, I never received anything from the post. And she said, oh, no, we never sent you anything. (laughs) So I said, well, how was I supposed to know I was supposed to get in contact with you? She said, you weren't. She said, but you're going to have to go back and get it re-referred to your doctor. And I said, but surely I've been referred already. I should be getting an appointment. She said, oh, yes, but we never received the referral. And I said, but it's on the system and you're reading it to me now. And she said, oh, yes, I'm reading it, but we've not received it. I said, explain how that one works. She said, we didn't get it in the eight-week period. So I said, you want me to now go back to my GP and get you exactly the same letter sent again to the one you're reading to me now? And she said, no, it'll have a different date on it. (laughs) So back I go... GP sends another letter. In the fullness of time, I get an appointment. But I'm going to be out in the country on work. So I can't make it. So I've got to phone up this lady again. I said, oh, I can't make this appointment. She said, all right, we've offered you one appointment in the eight-week period, she said. Now I can offer you one other appointment. So she then offered me an appointment for a day after the one I couldn't make. I said, well, no, I'm still going to be out of the country then. I'm not going to be able to make this. Can you offer me one slightly further away that I can make? No, we've offered you two appointments in the eight-week period. I said, OK, well, what have you got after the eight weeks? She said, lots, but they're not in the eight-week period. You need to get referred. I said, are you telling me 
I need to go back to my GP. He's going to send you the same third letter with a slightly different date on it. You at some stage will get in contact with me with the third letter you've sent me. I will then follow you up and quite possibly in a few weeks' time you and I are going to be having exactly the same conversation. She said yes. She said, but if it's any consolation, I'm not looking forward to that phone call either. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, you know, this is madness, don't you? And she said, no. That's a different department. <laughs> but it is madness, isn't it? It is. Wasting my time, wasting her time, wasting NHS money, all for these stupid targets which are making the system worse. And, you know, obviously I could pay for it, but, you know, you think you've already paid for it in many ways, don't you? It's the principle. And you'll notice I punch the air there with my right arm because <laughs> I still can't do it with my left arm because I've yet to get an appointment. When I do get an appointment, it may well be at the weekend, which is not necessarily a problem, provided the stress of getting it has not given me a fucking stroke, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so would you now please welcome to the stage Jess Phillips MP, Owen Jones and Rich Hall. Rick, would you like to kick us off? We would like to feel a bit better about ourselves if we can bond with things that we prefer to be better with. If I was British, I would be much more lax about not giving policemen guns. I would arm the fuck out of the police. That's what I'm trying to say. I'd give them everything. Grenades. I'd give them mortars. I would just teach them how to shoot the damn things and let them carry them around. There. That's, I can you, see, yeah. I yeah, haven't, I haven't seen behind. you for about six months. You've gone more right-wing than I, I remember, I'll be honest no. with you. I'm not right-wing. I'm not saying everybody. No, most people shouldn't have guns because they're stupid. But <laughs> give the fucking cops some guns. Fair enough. I was going to offer to the group, there's an old lady across the road, and I should be more honest with her because... Uh, I've got a bus app, right, and we've got a bus stop just across the road. And uh, so, brilliant now, you don't have to wait for the bus at all because you've got this bus app. You know, you just wait until it says one minute, rush out, then the bus turns up, kazam, brilliant. But the old lady across the road, she actually thinks I'm psychic now because <laughs> every time I'm there, the bus seems to turn up. And so she's always trying to get a coat whenever she sees me because she knows the bus is going to come. So she started calling me the bus whisperer, OK? <laughs> And I haven't had the heart. I quite like having a special power, so I haven't had the heart to tell her oh, that it's all done. Don't dan- tell her. I won't tell her then. No. What about you, Owen? Have you got anything to offer the group? What, what, what would that be less, uh, more uh, what slack about? Uh, the ageing process. Not yeah. looking like a cocky, prepubescent, poor man's Macaulay Culkin. I think I've been aged, I think I've been aged by the last two years. I look at least sixteen now, so there's, there's hope. I, I think it's great. There, Chris Addison, he, he, he was always on Mop the Week, and he, it, it, people always think Chris is a lot younger than he is, and it's, I think it's a bonus. He, he would yeah. get he, he would get fan mail from you know people who th- assumed that he was about yeah, fifteen when I go years and tell younger. You that, they go, oh, does your mum know you're all this late? <laughs> it was funny to begin with, but I am. You, you don't get ID'd in supermarkets or anything like that. No, or? of course I don't. <laughs> What about you, Jess? Well, you... God, I'm just slack about everything. I mean, I was late here, which meant I didn't hear the well, instructions. Well, you weren't. You I weren't. I didn't listen to the instructions. You I'm weren't just... slack about the bus services bill, though, were you? No, because you were voting... voting in the House of Commons, and so that, that was all slack. to do about information about buses. So, yeah, yeah, regulation on buses, which I'm going to talk about at length this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. I think the thing I would like to be least slack about, though, is paying attention to my children, because I, my son, said to me yesterday, he said, um, when you're on your phone when you're looking at your phone which is all the time if I say mum mum you don't look up but if I say Jess you listen to me <laughs> I know I'm a terrible mother <laughs> and do you get cross when he calls you Jess no not really I'd, no. I'd rather readdress me as you know her royal highness not <laughs> <laughs> catching on to that yeah. But you're obviously a, a very busy lady, so we're very pleased to see you here. Thank you very much. Two years a, as an MP, being described variously as a, a heroine, a blunt speaker, a breath of fresh air, and a pain in the arse. Yeah. Uh, but from my point of view, love hearing you speak in your mind. You know, politicians famous for sort of spinning things in the past say what you like about fake news, but nobody's worried so much about spin anymore now. And anyway, what's the point of spinning something that's happened if you can then put out nine stories saying that it, it never actually happened in the first place? That happens all the time. Everybody just shrieks fake news there these days, and so there's, no, there's no real news left anymore. But you're, Sorry, Evan. 
<laughs> Do you remember though? We had this bonding set because I interviewed Jess at this Guardian video thingy with her uh, back in 2015, and she used what I would regard as a figure of speech. She said, talked about Jamie Corbyn, said if it ever came to it, I wouldn't stab him in the back, but in the front. And then pe- <laughs> people responded by saying, well, that's a death threat. Two people called she the should, Metropolitan people Police. Should, the, the Metropolitan Police <laughs> urgently but John need to take said this, this weekend that Jeremy Corbyn had been thrown under a bus. So, so I none of this immediately this, looked this, for the report. Stabbing in the back, throwing under the bus. This wouldn't happen if the cops had guns. <laughs> <laughs> With all this going on, it's just, uh, wouldn't happen. So you, you've, got a, you've got a book out, not bad for an MP after two years, mm-hmm. Every Woman, uh, One Woman's Truth About Speaking the Truth. So two mentions of the word woman in the title, two mentions of the word truth. Four reasons why Donald Trump won't have bought that book. I don't know. I like to think of him like feverishly being angry reading it. Being like, this bitch. <laughs> but the truth is a somewhat old-fashioned concept, shall we say, at the moment. Um, yeah, I think that... I don't know. I think that we are actually in quite a liberated time in politics where people do tend to say what they think a little bit more than they used to do. Um, I don't know, uh, maybe not in the government benches because they just say long-term economic plan as an answer to every question that they're or, or, or they used to whilst George Osborne was still around, but now he's gone, probably there's a new one that they have to say. Yeah, but I do think politicians, in my experience now, are more themselves than they used to be. And, well, obviously you... you made a fair amount of press about uh, telling Diane Abbott to fuck off. We're not wanting to dwell on it, not wanting to dwell... But uh, the Slacktivist Action Group almost gave you a round of applause. That's as close, that's as, close as they, they go for that. But my favourite bit of it was that you then had some parliamentary colleagues come up and said a lot of them had wished that they'd done that at some stage in the past. And, and your reply I really enjoyed, which was, well, I don't know why you didn't, because the opportunity presents itself every other minute. <laughs> um, but... I then read, Jess, that you are quite friendly with Nicholas Soames, reasonably friendly <laughs> with Jacob Rees-Mogg. Yeah. Now, obviously... He's Nic- lovely, isn't he? Nic- he is, no, genuinely. <laughs> Although, do you know the Nicholas Soames anecdote? Well, I, I do you know what his ex-wife said about him? I, about him making love? Yeah. Indeed, yeah. It was like a wardrobe falling on top of you with the key sticking out. Yeah. <laughs> Hush. Politics is a brutal world. It is, but... Given, given that Nicholas Soames woofed at a female MP yeah. in the house, given that Jacob Rees-Mogg went canvassing with his nanny, I quite Jake, like you though, to it? tell them to fuck off as well. OK, I mean, I do on occasion <laughs> to fuck off as well. Um, but they, they are so... They are true, is the, is the reason that I like them. They are a represent... I mean, it's not like anyone I have ever met, and when Jacob talked to me about his nanny, I genuinely thought he meant his mummy's mummy. Um, <laughs> so um, that's just another person you can't push off a bus, isn't it? Your mummy's mummy. Um, the, that is a Glaswegian song. <laughs> but they are who they are, and they don't try and... Now, sometimes who they are is, like, sexist and horrible, and I wouldn't agree with them but they don't try and be something that they're not and they present themselves as the truest representation of themselves and that's why I like them. Although, they are to a penny, aren't they? Kind of eccentric, privately educated Tories. And whatever people think about Diane, she was one of the first... That's true. Well, the first black woman to be elected and quite racist as a country, aren't we? Yeah. In lots of ways. And I know people get angry and frustrated with her for lots of reasons... But she'll always go down in history as the first black woman elected. Whereas, there, like you say, there's a million toughs. There's a million Jacob Eastman. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of speaking your mind, you've had a certain amount of uh, abuse on social media that you've said at times has been bad for your mental health. Some research out last week saying that social media, actually, if you use it too much, makes actually people lonelier. Looking at idealised versions of everybody else yeah. makes people feel bad about themselves. Yes, we like beautiful cakes made by beautiful people in beautiful kitchens, but we feel better about ourselves if we see a cake that's failed, all slopped over to one side, icing written wrong, you know, congratulations on your new baby grill, or what, whatever it might be. <laughs> Cakerex.com is, is basically, if, if, you're, if you're feeling bad thing? about yourself, yeah, that's yeah. a thing. I mean, I really love social media. I waste a shitload of my time doing it, is the truth, and I'm terribly procrastinating when I am on Twitter. Um, but I... I think that it is a real benefit. And people... It's another thing about being a politician where people feel like they can actually talk to you. But unfortunately, some of those people are wankers. <laughs> and so much so that, Owen, you're, you are now, you're now off social media. 
being accused of various things, you've given your, your thoughts on the Corbyn issue, then you've taken a little uh, hiatus from social media. You've also been accused of being an Israeli agent. A so, stooge of the Israeli government, which I am, but how would anyone know that other than me? I mean, well, Mossad pay very well. But, but having taken a bit of a break from social media, you've presumably now got a bit more time for spying. So uh, <laughs> Yeah, the spying's not going to spy on themselves, are they? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't want to make a song and dance about it. It was just like, my mates were like, you won't stick to it unless you do. Like, I still post my articles and stuff. It's just spending your... You could shoot, no one's going to lie on their deathbed thinking... We should spend more of my time arguing with strangers on Twitter about whether I actually am a stooge of the Israeli government. Um, and I just got to that stage. It's like, I could spend the next few hours arguing with people who think I'm a right-wing Tory agent. Someone said I was so right-wing now that I'd probably be the leader of UKIP by the end of the year. And I could do that, or I could have just gone to the pub with my friends or gone for a walk or watched telly. You know, it's just like, do something else with your life. What? So it was, it was more that, and I wasn't trying to make a big statement, because I did just a Facebook status, because I was told to. And then it, it just, yeah, everyone took it too seriously. Well, Rich, you, you don't even bother with social media, do you? you, you uh, you're looking at me as, <laughs> as if, why, why would you bother? You've heard all these stories, why, why would nah, you want I to? I don't even have a phone. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Yeah. I mean, I think it well, I did check out the at Rich Hall, the, the top of it. not me. No, no, but the Twitter handle for that, it just says, not the American comic. Yeah. But it does turn out that he's apparently a music-loving beer drinker from the UK, and there's a little Uh picture of him with a trumpet. So I was just wondering... From the UK, though, well, yeah. Yeah, but he might steal some work from Otis Lee Crenshaw. That was all all Uh, I was... I don't think he's... I'd like to see him. (laughs) Yeah, looking for the bands. He could fill this room on Tuesday night. (laughs) People would show up and go, oh, he'd be halfway through, and they go, I don't think this is the guy that we thought... (laughs) It might be funny. I don't know. I don't... I, don't, I can't be... I don't want anybody to find me. <laughs> but they do. People always say, how does someone get in touch with you? You don't have a phone? No, you're not on Facebook? No, no. You're talking to me. I just... Yeah. It's just killing... It's killing everything. It's just killing everything. Yeah. And killing you've everything. Got, phones, you've got... phones are the... I'm only just realizing this right now. Phones are the root of all the evil in the world. There, there, I've said it. I'm going to go, I'm going to figure out how to back that up. But yeah, that's uh, well, we're, something wrong. If they, if they repainted The Last Supper, half the fucking apostles would be on phones. <laughs> it might have gone Texting very under the table. had that been the case. It might have had a better outcome. Yeah. yeah. They, they'd have all been concentrating on their Twitter profile. None of them yeah. would have bothered to do anything else. Jesus would be on TripAdvisor. <laughs> I'm trying to find a better restaurant. One that didn't make... <laughs> Twelve guys sit on the same side of the table. <laughs> what are you, Wagamama? Where? Are I, I think it's because, and this is a, this is a Trump. One of the reasons Trump got elected was because when you're when you're getting news down that thin stream, that information is now just a rivulet on a screen. It's not big news. Used to be big. You turn on the TV and you go, "Fuck, this is big." And now it's, and, and Trump is great at just maneuvering, just sending his little raft of of inconsequentiality down this tiny stream. And and on a tiny screen, what Trump does seems really fucking important. And it's just it's magnified so much. And a lot of people just kind of thought, oh, this guy's, this guy's real. And a lot of people voted for Trump because they were disgusted by him, but they didn't mind being disgusted, whereas other people are disgusted and don't like being disgusted. But, you know, Trump, a lot of people love being disgusted. And what Trump does by tweeting is very disgusting. And some people go, yeah, this guy's real. But he's, he's not. He's a fucking idiot. <laughs> well, we will no doubt come back to that as, as we go on. Um, Jess, you, uh, you've been obviously a Labour person all of your life. By accounts, you, you got a Labour Party membership age 14 mm-hmm. from your parents. Yep. Were you happy with that age 14? Shit gift. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they bought me some other stuff as well. Um, but, yeah, I remember... You, you're looking forward to a chopper bike or something, was yeah, it? Or, yeah, and, uh, yeah, Labour Party membership, and a woman called Christine came round and forced me to put my signature on this thing on my birthday. So, um... 
the uh, your you you apparently your kids when looking at Jeremy Corbyn they think he looks like Obi Wan Kenobi. Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. yeah, and you told Jeremy this. What what did Jeremy make I of it? I texted him and said my son just saw a picture of you. Uh, said it looked like Obi Wan Kenobi, and uh, and and he replied the Force is strong with that one or something something slightly Star Warsy whatever it was. <laughs> but he was he seemed pleased. But Obi Wan Kenobi of course in Master Jedi, Jeremy Corbyn cyclist drain spotter. Obi-Wan Kenobi, cloak with a lightsaber. Jeremy Moore, anorak with a fluorescent stripe. I don't think he's living his life like Obi-Wan Kenobi, per se. Um, Who would be the young Padawan? Who is Luke in this, if we're going to stretch this? This, this no, who is Luke, Owen? They did that, it's funny. <laughs> I know what you're doing, I know what you're doing. Basically, what happened is, while two years ago, we spoke at the same demo, and there was a picture of me next to Jamie Corbyn, and then what they did is a, a picture of Obi-Wan Kenobi oh, next they? to Luke Skywalker. I think it was Huffington Post, sort of stuff they do. And it was like they did the picture to... And it went viral. Yeah, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> We're all Googling that later on. We're all going to see. <laughs> I didn't see that I genuinely picture. thought that was your reference. No, no, I didn't see oh, that picture. Backfired. <laughs> <laughs> Avoided it. Everyone's going to go home. It's going to go viral all over again. Thanks. <laughs> no, no Jeremy Corbyn at the moment um, being described as political marmite. Mm-hmm. Now... That arguably is a little bit harsh on Marmite, <laughs> in, in the sense that if you imagine 50% of the British population love Marmite, mm-hmm. 50% hate Marmite, Jeremy Corbyn would kill for those sort of popularity <laughs> ratings. Um, arguably, he's more political wasabi, aubergine, licorice, haggis, something like that. <laughs> I like all of those things. <laughs> you, and my mum said never marry a person who doesn't like Marmite, so right. uh, I would be in the loving Jeremy Corbyn category then, wouldn't I? The fact that you're off social media, Owen, is partly down to your feelings about, you know, that Jeremy should step aside, then they should bring it down to 5% and somebody from the left should be able to stand. Um, But social media did help you launch an absolutely uh, incredible congratulations on the the Muslim ban demonstration. Um, We talk about slacktivism. That was remarkable. By all accounts, you 3am on Sunday morning, you suddenly thought to yourself that this something needs to happen and 48 hours lo and behold it, it was there going you you know you tweeted out uh, that you needed a generator i did have a look in my garage for you um all, all i could see was a portable karaoke i didn't think that was going to be much help but you know absolutely brilliant work and an absolute congratulations from from people who you know supposedly were not great at organizing anything uh, an amazing achievement we've all done it though i mean stumbled home after a few drinks tweeted let's have a massive protest and then uh just things escalated yeah i don't know i just thought it was it was three yeah, yeah. i just came back from the i just came back from the united states so i came back um on the saturday and it was uh yeah it was the early hours of sunday morning so i'd only just come back so i traveled all over and uh, you know and i i don't know it was just a case of i do think like looking back in history they'll go if you're not going to protest now this orange-faced megalomaniac bigot uh, is the most powerful man on the face of the earth. I might as well give up. So it was just the case. That's what I did. I just, you know, sent out a tweet. And it is remarkable because social media's got, you know, it is a bit of a bubble, isn't it? You get people who just pat themselves on the back. But it was just the case of what I, I loved about it because it just became this, you know, protest all over the country was people who'd never protested before. You know, I went round afterwards chatting to people. They came up with their... You know, they didn't have, like, SWP banners. They designed their own things. And and it was just kind of, like, an authentic expression of this. Like, it just isn't right. And if we don't speak out at a time like this, then what what is the point? And you were over in the States. You were researching for your book that's coming out, The Politics of Hope. Sounds like satire, doesn't it? The, the, what, the Politics poli- of Hope. Well, it's certainly given that Barack Obama's was the audacity of hope. And I know. Do you know what? It's a holding title. I might have to scrap that. <laughs> Thanks. Well, the reason you said that you were, you were doing it was because you wanted to cheer yourself up. One of the reasons. Yeah, I don't Going really... over to America to cheer yourself up at the moment is not necessarily the best way you of doing it. You say that. Right. Ah, you say, I want to hear what you think. Right. I went there and I felt a bit before the inauguration. I went to Obama's America, left Trump's America. And I thought, be like, oh, blimey, what is the point of this? I went there, and I actually came back more optimistic. It, it's like, I can see their way out. Have you seen Labyrinth? Oh, man, it's the best film It's amazing. Ever. You know, the tight PVC, David Bowie, amazing. Right, <laughs> and it was, it was a bit of a mischief. It's questionable, a kind of uh, someone with background in showbiz preying on a young teenage girl. But, I mean, let's just 
scrap that. Yeah. No, but it was a case of like you got this kind of. You know, this this big struggle through the stench of... A t- no, what was it? The bog of the eternal stench. You know, and all these, like, they got sent in the wrong direction. and But they win in the end. They win in the end. And I think that is America. It's basically labyrinth uh, for the next four years. Well, and that ended quite well. Well, let's talk to Rich. Rich has been out there. You've done... Uh, very much enjoyed your country, uh, The New. Uh, on Still on iPlayer. was on BBC Four about country music uh, last week. Um, now, you were saying country music very much about pain. Now, yeah, given country the- music is, is very much about uh, hard lives that people think they lead. Um, but you, you basically... It's a, you know, it's a lot of millionaires singing about trucks. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to look at it in terms of countries, country music is about the listener and, and not the singer. Because these guys, you know, they're millionaires. Singing, oh, I, I wish I had a beer, I wish I had a truck. But you... You, you-, you do, you have a beer in a truck. You, you have- I don't have a beer in a truck, but so I'm, I'm going to listen to your song. But you have a beer in a truck. But, uh, but you were basically saying, for inspiration, people needed people to leave them, and then you know. Oh they, yeah, they, the inspiration. You, you would have you would have a song. So now with Trump there, is there going to be a world of pain in America? Does that mean we're going to lead to some great country music coming up, or are the fact that these people in Nashville and you know Tennessee mm. and Kentucky are they going to view Trump as their person? You know, suddenly be really happy about that, and country music's going to go to the pan. No, country music. Uh, Never changes. I mean, it, it it goes from really bad, and then someone comes along and rescues it every twenty years. It's always going to be the same because it's about it's something that people. It's a lifestyle. People embrace that lifestyle in country music, and it's very southern. And southerners, I don't really. Um, you probably notice this is that I, people have this idea that half of America is running around wearing red hats and. And, and make America great, Ooh, Trump. And you don't really see these people. That's what I find sinister about it. Uh, you don't see the bumper stickers. You don't see the window dressings. You don't see these kind of things that, woo, it's, it's sort of this secret cabal of people who I don't think they really identified with Trump when they voted for him. They can't. They live in fucking trailers in rusted out cities. And the people he's talking about are people who lost their jobs, you know, to automation, to Chinese, to globalization. And Trump is nothing like them. But I think they just thought this is a chance to give our fucking finger to the government in Washington, D.C. that doesn't give a fuck about us. And this guy at least is someone we can identify with, you know. And I think they're going to slowly realize over the next four years that we're just going to be mired in lawsuits and counter lawsuits and a guy who's not trying desperately to do what he said, what he mouthed off. I'm going to build a wall. And he didn't really think about it. I'll build a wall because... Well, that's what people want to hear. And now he's got to build a wall, and it's not going to be that fucking easy. No. Nor is it going to work. Well, also, I was in York three yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, they've got a wall there. Yeah, Three Mexican restaurants right in the middle of town. I'm just saying. <laughs> a wall is not going to work. Didn't work in China. Didn't work in Montreal. Walls, people dig under them. Especially the Mexicans. They dig, <laughs> dig under it. They can dig a three-mile tunnel underneath the prison. A wall's not going to, you know... But he said, I'm going to build a wall, and now he, uh, he thinks that, well, I said that, and I got elected on that, so now I'm going to have to build it. And it's never going to get built. It's not going to get built. Well, and, and you, you, you did your presidential grudge match, and there was, um, you know, you were talking about how many U.S. presidents have been shot. Yeah. And he's obviously now having, <laughs> having a go at his... Oh, uh, they don't shoot the bad ones, Andy. <laughs> the bad ones never get shot. Well, he is having to go... the Lincolns and the Kennedys get shot, Trump will never fucking get shot. He might get whacked with an errant golf ball and, you know... (laughs) From close range, we can hope. Rory McIlroy, go on, do it. But the people, the disenfranchised people in America, it's odd, are the people in Springsteen songs. Those, uh, obviously, Springsteen, you know, never... He turned him down, as did... As did a, a, a Springsteen tribute band was asked to perform at the inauguration... And they turned Trump down. <laughs> tribute band. Actually had to... Fellas, should they, they we risk our it. artistic integrity by performing for this morning? We're only just coming into our own as a Springsteen tribute band. We're filling these South Jersey clubs. Should we? Do we want to ruin our reputation as guys who come out and pretend to be Bruce Springsteen? And But these people who... who you listen to this, you know, the, the, the guy, the people from the suicide traps, the death, whatever, born to run, whatever it was, all those people. 
they're 50 now. They're 55. They can't just fight the rebellion and live that life, you know, that poetry of rebellion anymore. We're going to get out of this town. No, they're screwed now. They're screwed, and uh, they have no health care, and they have no uh, hopes of, of getting their automation jobs back. And those are the people who voted for Trump, and I don't think he's going to be able to help them that much. And I, so you, you're talking about the politics of hope in America. You, you found some people out there that... you. You know, you, you're down on record, though, saying when it comes to writing, you don't actually enjoy writing at all, I mean. So, it's awful, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But now, of course, you've got those vo- voice dictation apps, haven't you? So you can just stand there and shout at your computer about how, <laughs> how shit the government is. And, uh, you know, obviously, if you've, you've got an open plan office, it can look a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> but um, but you, you, one of the reasons you're going out on tour and taking the politics of hope on tour. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I mean, writing is the worst thing in the world. I don't know why anyone enjoys it. I love it. Do you, you t- take my job? Take it. Uh-huh. It's, it's yours. I'm going to have all the jobs like George Osborne. <laughs> <laughs> Big. <laughs> so, what, what is the politics of hope? Um, <laughs> it's, got, still, it's still waiting to be cheered up. Right. This is it. It is difficult. I did it basically. The book is a therapy session. I mean, I was so bored of writing about just how depressing mm. everything was. So I was trying to be proactive. <laughs> But I don't know. I mean, it was funny because I, sp- I chatted to some Trump supporters in uh, in Washington with the red hats, and, they, and one of them I was like, "Why do you support?" And they said, "You know, he's a self-made billionaire." I was like, "It's from a millionaire family." They went, "Yeah, he started off a millionaire, ended up a billionaire. He's a self-made billionaire," and that that was the kind of level we were dealing with there. Yeah. But I think, but then it, if it, his father just remained alive as a millionaire, he would now be a billionaire. Yeah, wouldn't he? That, yeah. that's how it works. That's how it works. Well, he's, he's well, won and lost money. I mean, he's you know he's, he's probably more about playing the game. And uh, yeah, he did get help from his dad. Well, but, how did he get but that? If money? I had a million bucks, I'd give it to my kid. He, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Trump wouldn't know a conflict of interest, would he? If he was receiving a oh. sort of a donation from Vladimir Putin live on Breitbart News <laughs> yeah. whilst wearing Ivanka Trump clothing, would he? So, <laughs> no, he wouldn't. But the people, the difference between Americans and Brits is that in America, being a billionaire or a millionaire, everybody loves a millionaire. Nobody hates Trump because he's a millionaire in America. No. Americans hate professionals. Americans are very distrustful of professionals. Wall Street, that's the elite, yeah. bankers, that's the elite to Americans. You know, in this country, oh, you money, money. And in America, if you got money, people go, fuck, I wish I had as much money as you did. Mm-hmm. But, but in terms they of, don't like lawyers, they don't like stockbrokers, they don't even like doctors that much. In terms of hope, though, arguably the hope comes from young people in terms of, you know, the future. And we did Reading Festival together last year, and we were working out, trying to work out what age the audience might be. And then we suggested that maybe the vote should be given to 16 and 17 year olds, and it absolutely took the roof off the place. And we worked out it was basically people who just finished their GCSEs <laughs> were, were the people who go to Reading Festival. It was pretty good, it? We did Reading Festival on a Sunday, and thousands of people turned up, and they were probably mashed the night before, but they still turned up to talk about politics at Reading Festival. Yeah, I do think there's hope, isn't it? I mean, like, it's easy to get all windy and depressed because it feels like the world has gone to pop. But you know what? I do think, like, in America, most people didn't vote for him. He's the most unpopular president ever at this stage. And I met, I went all the way, I went to North Carolina, Chicago, and, you know, America's a, it's such a good place. And, it, you know, it's the, it's the place of, you know, the people who fought slavery, uh, the you know, people who fought for workers' rights, suffragettes. The LGBT rights movement, Harvey Milk, he said, you know, I know you cannot live on hope alone, but without it, life is not worth living. The people who fought, you know, for all the things that people, you know, we, it's so easy to slag off America. And when George W. Bush was president and Americans pretended to be Canadians when they came to Europe and all the rest of it. But it is such a good country where, which fought for these rights and freedoms. And there's Trump's America, but it is a minority. And the next generation of Americans are people who genuinely believe in fighting for a just equal society and they're going to win the country the future doesn't belong to donald trump or nigel farage or marine le pen it belongs to people who want to fight for equality and justice everything will be fine in the end like in the films <laughs> the, the thing they say about trump though isn't it very much he's always oh, must be good for stand up good for jokes whatever but it, as you say it's not like no, George. he's not he's the not way. at all he's well he's write like a trump George... joke and 10 minutes later he's topped it and like God, that was funny. Ten minutes. Oh, well, now look what he's done. Oh, Jesus Christ! He's no, he's but very it's not, hard. Well, to it's write. not like George Bush was it was a joke-free zone, was it? And it, you know, it's not like Tony Blair 
doesn't give to the comedy fraternity. Even these days, he's still giving to the comedy fraternity, isn't it? Well, it was only last week he was saying, oh, the trouble with Brexit was it was voted on by, you know, with voters with imperfect knowledge, says the man who took us to war on the back of a student essay. It didn't seem to make any sense whatsoever, did it? Yeah, so, yeah that, that is a slacktivist classic round of applause, that is. So... <laughs> But I do think, I think Tony Blair's got a role to play in this country. Every time we feel divided as a nation, we get Tony Blair to make a speech and then we all come united and slag him off one more time. But if we're talking about people who can unite this country, I think the country was united about George Osborne, wasn't it? You know, yeah. a, man, a man who said, oh, it's, you know, it's OK to become a newspaper editor as well as an MP because C.P. Scott had done it back in the 1890s. A, a very different time. It was OK then for the Prime Minister to take prostitutes back to Downing Street and rescue them. So, uh, <laughs> you, you wrote in The Observer about this, Jess, your, your passion did. of writing. Yes. Uh, I really like sl- writing slagging off George Osborne. Well, you had two goes, didn't you? That just falls out of here. It takes like, literally like five minutes. Um, well, you slagged him off one week for Blackrock and then you couldn't believe that he'd then come back with <laughs> another job the week have. after. Um, I think that, yeah, George Osborne is just absolutely taking the piss. Um, frankly, and I think he knows it and he came into Parliament uh, the day after the Evening Standard thing was announced and he came into Parliament and there was a statement about it where he wouldn't get to answer because he's no longer on the front bench but Ben Gummer, who's this sort of new sort of minister who's desperate to sort of make his way in the world had to basically give Theresa May's uh, view from the dispatch box uh, with George Osborne behind literally laughing he, was lit- he walked in smug and laughing and just sat there laughing with his colleagues the whole time. He's literally laughing at you. And to me, the, the politics of hope and the, the, the idea, the only thing I ever really wanted to go into politics for was so that people could go, oh, you know what, and this is going to sound like I'm slagging myself off, if she can do it, then I can do it. <laughs> um, that, you know, that normal people can get there, that people who say things like normal people and people who have had normal life experiences could make it to high office. And George Oswald goes and does that, and he's just laughing at the British public. Well, let's face it, you know, a man famous for doing U-turns in his budget, anybody could produce an idea and then a week later go back on it. We've got the example from the last budget. Yeah, go on, on. Well, sort of, I mean, we're not talking about the politics of hope, because it sounds like motherhood. who doesn't agree with the politics of hope? But what worries me about the George Osborne stuff is people, like treat things like that, like the weather. You know, you can, like, complain about it just the way things... Are. Do you remember the, um, the uh, ta- you know, the, um, was it, Tax Haven scandal? What was it again? Oh, yeah. With uh, the David, David Cameron thing. Yeah. Where was it? I've just forgotten. Uh, what's the name of the place? Cayman Islands? No, it was Panama. British... Uh, Panama! Panama! Here we go. And I remember tweeting... That's activist it. action group right on the nail there, weren't they? They were good. That's collective action. That's what happens. <laughs> but, no, but I remember tweeting about it going, it's outrageous, you know... Uh, People were told there's not enough money, that's why we have to have cuts, rich people avoid taxes on a, an industrial scale. And people were like, well, duh, what do you expect? They weren't angry. You know, they'd have been <coughs> shocked if rich people didn't avoid tax yeah. on an industrial scale. They just factored it in. And we have got to the stage now, the pro- one of the many problems with Donald Trump becoming president is everyone's like, <laughs> you know, when you get a news alert now, you, get, you adopt the brace position. Uh, <laughs> But, I mean, it is, you just, you've, it just becomes, it's so ridiculous. You know, if two years ago you were told that, you know, Donald Trump would be president of the United States, George Osborne would be editor of the Evening Standard, and Ed Balls would be dressed up as the mask, doing the Fandango on, um, on Strictly Come Dancing. You know, it's like one of those, you know, what if, if things went all wacky, what would happen? You know, pieces you get in newspapers. And the problem with it is people get immune to kind of things being... Shit. So they basically just go, well, that's the way the world is. Donald Trump, a guy who's, you know, this Muslim-hating misogynist, is the most powerful man on earth. He's a parody of himself. Then everything else is, you know, less shocking. And we should be shocked. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. We should. We shouldn't be allowed to do it. And did you, you know, I know you're both very keen that you don't just talk about Labour's problems, but you also have a chance to uh, slag off what's going on at the same time from the Tory point of view. National insurance contributions, the main budget proposal, six days later, had gone um, this year's pasty tax, Mm. a, a reminder that George Osborne couldn't even do one job properly. 
I think that the saddest thing about how shit the Tories are at the moment is that we can't capitalise on it at all. And that is the saddest thing, and that is a failing of all of us in politics at the moment, is that in with a fair win, the Tories should be really, really struggling because they have to go back on themselves all the time. And they it's really easy to sort of decimate their arguments in the Commons, but, you know, they just go like, your lot. Have you seen your lot? I mean, we can't fight back. No. That shit. No, it, it, well, I mean, when Jeremy Corbyn opens with uh, this is chaos and then gets accused of it, you know, well, I, I will take advice on chaos and then, you know, all of those oh things. Oh, my God, does no one say, don't talk about chaos, don't talk about <laughs> unity, don't say those words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're all going to yeah. literally... Don't mention vests, allotments. <laughs> yeah. Who's advising him? Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Before you, you have a chance to, to ask your questions, I'll just uh, let you know who is um, coming up over, over the coming months. We, next month, we've got Nick Clegg, Matt Ford will be here, and we've got Katie Balls um, from The Spectator. That's April the 24th. And then in May, we've got Romesh Ranganathan, Lucy Powell, and uh, Daniel Finkelstein from The Times. So anybody listening on the podcast, um, please go to the website, andyparsons.co.uk. So hands up, anybody who's got a question for one of our three guests. Thank you very much, sir. Very good of you to be the first person. There will be a microphone coming to you now. Yeah, this is the week that Article 50 gets triggered. So just try and imagine where we'll be in two years' time. Um, OK, um, maybe we should, we should go to Jess first on that one. Oh, I just feel like there's going to be like cars burning in the street. You know, like in Back to the Future when he goes... Back to the Future 2, when Biff has taken over. <laughs> and like, there's just like, like crazy shit going on in the street. Um, maybe like that. I imagine it will be fairly similar to what it is like now, but that we, no progression will have been made. It will be very, very difficult to progress the economy in any way. It will be very difficult to... I mean, even at the moment in Parliament, it feels impossible to progress anything because people used to shout austerity and now they shout Brexit. Brexit sucks the life out of everything that happens in that place. And it's like nobody can pay any attention to anything because of Brexit. So maybe in exactly two years' time, we'll be able to have a different conversation. That would be nice. Something to look forward to. So you're saying nothing's going to happen. We're just doing this. There'll be a transitional transitional deal, so we can talk about it for another two years. Going on. Oh, and what did you want? Do you want to come on this? Over you, you suddenly the politics of hope have have turned sour for you now. We seem twenty eight days later. No, Um, (laughs) I mean it's easy to be downbeat because it does feel sometimes like. You know, this government, we're going to turn Britain into that kind of drunk guy at the end of the pub at the end of the night. He's just rah, ranting at everyone and sticking his fingers up and thinks he's, uh, you know, uh, you know, because we're going to alienate everyone in Europe and we're going to increasingly become xenophobic and inward looking. But it, I don't think that's inevitable. I think mm-hmm. if people make their voices heard, because the danger is people just become resigned 
to what this government's doing. We're going to end up with a hard Tory Brexit. We're going to screw over lots of things people probably in this room believe in. Then it will happen. But I think if people make their voices heard about uh, standing up for our rights, workers' rights, uh, whether it be standing against scapegoating neighbours for problems caused by the powerful, then it might be all right. But as soon as people get despairing, that's when despair will be vindicated. Probably. And then yeah. it'll be the politics of despair. Indeed. Yeah. And who wants that? Yeah. Pretty Second awesome. working title for the book, when it all yeah. goes tits up. That's the realistic title. <laughs> so, anybody else? Anybody else got a question? Hiya. Um, we've all got, like, a limited amount of time on the planet. Is it selfish or selfless to be a slacktivist? Like, we can't all be Leonardo DiCaprio's of the world. Um, and we can't all be millionaires. Is it selfish to uh, make yourself uh, before you try and change the world <laughs> so, so basically you know is, is it okay to if, if we dabble in politics rather than being f- full-time members of the political fraternity all you should do all i ever encourage people to do is vote it's when people don't vote that it uh it bothers me um what i, I mean i think i'm a loser for you know i'm I, I wouldn't expect anyone to be like me and dedicate like every waking hour of their lives to politics um, I have always been that way and I recognise that that isn't normal and that most people are interested in that <laughs> and when I knock doors in my constituency you know, people don't talk about the things that we write about in our newspapers or that we're talking about in Westminster they largely talk about pavements drop curbs you know, this is small you know, neighbourhood stuff that's what drives people um, so I think it's completely okay to be a slacktivist and just maybe sometimes get like you know Auntie Anna with your banner and and, and feel that you can take part in things. What you shouldn't ever do is like get a banner, go on one protest, and then lecture everyone <laughs> forever. Don't be that dude. Literally nobody likes that dude. But talking of people to inspire you, the sort of activists, you, you saw a banner in America which was, uh, I, I'm not a sign guy, but geez, this is what he had on the sign. That's how desperate things were. And I think it was uh, the, a group of them were holding a, a banner which just said, wrong. And that, was on, <laughs> that was on the day of the, uh, the inauguration. I thought he summed up the feelings of millions. Yeah, I mean, most people aren't sad, pathetic losers like me. Uh, you can quote that. No, I mean, most people have better things to do, jobs, families, careers, not babble on about politics. But I would say, if you're kind of angry about how things are, you don't have to get... I don't. You're right, you know, that kind of protester who's like, I'm a protester. If you're not a protester, then, you know, screw you. It's not that helpful. But, you know, if you feel angry about things, you want to change things, then I think now's a pretty good time to make your voice yeah, heard. If you, if you can't get excited by something now, something's wrong, isn't it? So let, have we got one last question here? Did I say... say oh, one, oh, well, there's, there's, we, said, we, said, there. um, we said there was a lady over there, so let's go there. We might have can I, can I just say that as an American, this, yes. is, this is a beautiful thing? This is just... What, democracy the, and actually people no, asking questions the, without, you know, being told? Yes, the, the whole civil... Nobody has... If they showed question time in America, within five minutes, somebody... There'd be gunfire. <laughs> you cannot have... I, I, I realize nobody, uh, people are being a bit reticent even about asking questions, which is crazy. But, I mean, nobody steps on anybody else's foot. You can't have this kind of show in America. We don't think like you people. We don't, we don't have that ability to to rein ourselves in at the last moment, we just go on and on, as I'm doing now. <laughs> By interrupting this poor woman who wants to answer She's, answer, she's, answer a, she's got the microphone now. And it, another thing. It, it, it. Hi, it's a question for Jess as the only person active on social media. The amount of things you get added in and the amount of comments people send you, I was wondering how you prioritise what you choose to respond to and like, are there certain things that you think you like, need to respond to because you have that platform and how you prioritise that? Um, I, I genuinely, I don't have any strategy for prioritising it. I prioritise it based on what I see and there are thousands of app messages that I will get that I will never, ever see because they are lost in the slew um, of what comes through. What I try and do is when I see anyone who is one of my constituents, I will follow them back. Um, so that I might have a chance of seeing something that they have put to me 
Because there was a time when someone was sending me some really nice stuff and they were like, oh, you only ever reply when people are horrible to you. Um, because I really like a fight. And, um, <laughs> Have I mean, your I... kids found this out? All, are they thinking of joining Twitter? Just so I was like, you know, mum, 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 I'm here. My, my kids would be absolutely brilliant on Twitter. <laughs> they would be totally blazing people all the time. Um, they are much quicker than me. A lot of my best work is based on things that my children have said. Um, so now I try and interact with the positive as much as I interact with the negative just for my own mental health. Um, and I am at peak block now, so I don't see so much negative stuff. But, yeah, I try, to, I try to respond to people who are actually genuinely having a conversation with you. And it's, it becomes quite easy to spot the people who are genuinely interested in a conversation. Brilliant. Well, that, that is, in fact, all we've got time for. Apologies. Oh. If you do want to get in, in contact with anybody, then uh, obviously on the panel you'll be able to get in contact with Jess over social media. You'll be able to, you'll be able to leave messages for Owen, which he may see but won't reply to. And uh, if you want to book uh, Rich Hall, feel free to go on Twitter and some surprise bloke who's not the American <laughs> comic... Will, will be available. Um, thank you very much for all coming out. If anybody's listening on the podcast, please subscribe. It helps us keep it free. It just basically goes straight into your downloads folder. We'll give you a quick moment to do that now. Super, that's done. So thank you very much for that. Please spread the word. We are here the last Monday of the month. Um, if people are keen to sort of do something in the, the interim, try and give them something to do. So maybe if you want to follow uh, Owen on uh, Twitter or Facebook or YouTube and then get yourself a generator and next time, Sunday, 3am in the morning, you're having something going on, we will all be able to go out and there'll be like 10,000 generators on Whitehall <laughs> for, the, for the next protest. Also, go and see Rich on tour. Um, other tours are available. Check the website. So... Um, <laughs> But thank you very much for coming tonight. Try and be empathetic on, uh, on social media, obviously. Uh, we wish, uh, wish our three guests w- well in, in their, their different respects. Apparently, if we want to feel better about ourselves rather than doing social media, a sense of achievement can do it, and uh, we all have different senses of achievement. You know, Owen can obviously try and look a little bit older than he is. Uh, <laughs> Rich can hope for more guns. Um, but I saw a bloke on the train. It was a full-packed carriage, and he was doing a Sudoku puzzle. And in front of the entire carriage, he completed this Sudoku puzzle and he just went, yeah. (laughs) Being able to put the numbers one to nine in the right order had made his day and he didn't care who knew it. So, ladies and gentlemen, would you please give it up for our three guests tonight, Jess Phillips, Owen Jones, Rachel. Thank you very much for coming. Hope you see you next time. Thank you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.